0: Welcome to The Richard Brooks Show. I help you build a business that matters. Network marketing isn't easy. Success at any level requires self-motivation, persistence, enthusiasm, networking, promotion, courage, and work. I've interviewed hundreds of global influencers, network marketing gurus, network marketing heroes, representing dozens of companies. Sales leaders that have demonstrated that anyone can build a four-year career. The Richard Brooks Show is a collection of inspirational stories of what is possible. These achievements are possible and inspirational like Olympic athletes. And like Olympic athletes, most people will never be one. Join me as I hear the stories of global influencers, network marketing gurus, and network marketing heroes.
1: This is the infamous, the famous uh, Leah Ditton who just spent 88 days and 10 hours rowing from San Francisco to Hawaii, setting the world record for a woman rowing a rowboat. And we'll drop in the comments, um, you know, a newscast about what she did and her website. So you can see her boat and you can see a little bit of her journey. And just to give this, bring this into context, I have known Leah for a few years. I knew she was going to do this. It didn't actually register in my mind, so she said, you know, she's going to row from San Francisco to Hawaii, and I said, oh, to myself, (laughs) okay. (laughs) And I probably said, why? (laughs) Which we'll ask her, everybody probably asked her. And then, of course, in June, she just lit out from San Francisco after training for years for this, and So um, I do a daily Facebook Live, Leah was telling you earlier. And about once a week, I would update the crowd on, hey, check out Leah, go to her website, you can see her progress. And the context for why I'm following you, besides I'm fascinated and we're friends, is most of the people that follow me, follow me for what they might learn about attitude and mindset motivation and persistence and consistency and all of the habits and, and disciplines and distinctions of somebody that achieves something great by their mental state and by being consistent. And I can't think of a better example. In fact, I there is not a better example of anybody I've ever watched or heard of. Uh, than what you did for 88 days. And so I just wanted to bring you to my audience and I want to ask you some questions about your mindset and what the journey was like and how you held it together and all of that. So, hey everybody, here's Leah resting up in an Airbnb. And <laughs> yeah,
2: so hello everybody in Richard's community. <laughs> Thank you for following and um, being interested and um yeah great to connect uh, live
1: <laughs> you're, you're you're uh you're live all over the world so um leah give us just a little bit of context because most of the people watching this don't know anything about sailing and the you know the, the community around the world of sailing and sailboat racing and you know there's that race from California to Hawaii in a sailboat, which I understand you might, I don't know, you could tell people about you're the youngest person to ever crew something that's ever happened somewhere. <laughs> so, h- how many people have ever rowed from the West Coast to Hawaii? And what was the record before you?
2: Okay. I understand that nine people total have rowed from the US mainland to Hawaii. It's considered the mid-Pacific route, the North Pacific being Japan to San Francisco and the South Pacific being uh, South America to Australia. So it's it's, it's, uh, the mid-Pacific. Nine people have done it, a lot of people have failed. There've been a lot of people who've set off and not made it off the coastline. It's well known that getting out of the Bay Area alone is your first massive challenge. And then your second is, breaking away from the continental shelf, which if you look at my tracker uh, uh, was a gallant fight <laughs> for far too long, really. it, it uh, I almost did not succeed. So that's nine solo. There have been a number of others who did it as teams, but nine solo. Uh, only one other woman has done it solo, and she crossed in 99 days and some change, but she was supported. So, That meant that she needed water because her water maker broke and she was unable to fix it. So her record is not actually registered with Guinness because of the outside assistance. So it makes it a very sort of, it wasn't really registered the first time, but at the same time, she was the first to do it and you have to give it that, even if she doesn't get the certificate. So, um, so Let me
1: ask you the proverbial question. Why did you do this?
2: (laughs) Well, So San Francisco to Hawaii is training, (laughs) so it's my half marathon before the full marathon, which is the original goal, which stands, which is to row from Japan to San Francisco, of which only two people have done that, solo, both men, both towed the last 20 and 50 miles. So if I can succeed in that, that's very significant because I would be the first person, male or female, and there are very few records left with that opportunity to row land to land. And what I I realized sort of four years ago was that it was a massive, massive undertaking that needed almost uh, an Olympic training, an Olympic team type approach to it. So I decided to do this as the, the half marathon before the full marathon.
1: So this 88 days at sea by yourself was training. (laughs)
2: No, (laughs) yeah, so 86 days actually. But yeah, that's why it wasn't really publicized when I left, you know, I left with two Guinness witnesses clocking the time of my departure and that was it. You know, there was no press for three days but I had broken out of San Francisco and boom, you know, then it took hold. <laughs> People started falling.
1: Give us a little bit of the, a sense, Leah, of your daily routine. And so we'll get it. There'll be a picture in the comments of the boat. How long was the boat? And and did you have a bed? And did you have a bathroom? And how many hours a day did you row? And when did you sleep? And how did you sleep? And- Can you just give people a sense of the logistics of what a day rowing at sea looks like?
2: Okay, so my boat is 21 feet. It's an ocean rowboat. So it has a cabin at one end that I sleep in and a sort of cabin at the other end for storage. And in the middle, I row. And I would row as many hours as I could sustainably. So that worked out between eight and 11 hours every day. So I do a morning session from sunrise to um, noonish or, or sun up time and then a sun overhead and then an, a second session after a nap until sundown. And then I didn't row at night. It's not conducive to good recovery and it's much harder to see the waves at night. So I, I only rowed during the day, which is, you know, a shame in a little way because some of the nights are magical, but that makes it sustainable.
1: So when you go to sleep, how do you keep the boat from drifting back and losing all the ground you made?
2: Great question. <laughs> uh, sometimes I didn't. There was a whole spell where the current took away the miles I rode during the day, day after day after day, and that is 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 a is a big trial of the human spirit.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, I- into that. I want to I learn how you managed your mind during this. But um, tell us about some of the more fascinating things that happened. So you capsized twice.
2: Right. So the first time, let, let me just explain what that means, because most people don't really know. The first time I capsized, I was rowing and I was thrown out of the boat. The boat turtled and did not come back round. And so what caused that was a freak wave, but it was a wave that was breaking and breaking and breaking. And I've only ever seen one like it, and that was the day before. (laughs) And so once it started to go into the third break, it created an avalanche of water. And I knew that no matter what boat I was in, we were getting rolled. I knew when I saw the waterfall, literally waterfall, we were going in and so um i oh, i mean i got thrown into the water it still quite inconceivable to me how i managed to turn round a 1300 pound boat myself and so i you
1: know it, so it was right side up yes like people would maybe know about that in kayaking so the kayak is upside down and you gotta yeah, you,
2: you kind of climb up it and then your weight brings it back down. But if you, my weight's not significant for 1,300 pounds to bring it back down. So what must have happened was wind or wave came along a little bit at the time and we, it coordinated. But you miss one beat of time in that and the boat settled. It's not rolling back. I mean, the minute I was in the water, I knew my chance to roll that back round was right now. You know, if, if I waited one second, we, we were now in a quite serious rescue situation, for which most people, to be honest, do, do not get recovered.
1: Yeah. So speaking of quite serious rescue situation, who's coming to get you <laughs> a thousand miles from
2: shore? I was about five or six hundred from the west coast at that point, so there were shipping lanes nearby me. However, when I rolled the second time, that was not the case. I was a thousand miles from land and 36 hours from the nearest shipping lane, which stunned me even at the time. And so, okay, we have the two gap sizes. but the other thing that was a bit of a surprise on this, on this trip was sharks. But we know that there are sharks in the, in the ocean. We know they're in the Pacific. We don't expect to see them. <laughs> I know. Or them doing laps around my boat, which was the first shark I saw. And the second one ravished the tuna fish that were following me it was like being in an episode of you know National Geographic in the middle of it <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I, I
1: remember reading about this you had yellowfin tuna that were following you every day right next to the boat
2: yeah it was like a fish escort and they were big they were four feet five feet were, and beautiful I mean I'd be hard pushed to want to fish them they were just so stunning to watch and they used the shadow and the sort of uh proximity of the boat to shelter from the very thing that like the shark that wanted to you know (laughs) eat them for breakfast
1: right uh amazing so so leah when's the first time mentally on this voyage that you started questioning whether you could do it You would do it. How many days out?
2: Before I left, actually. Because um, uh, someone died on that route a little further ahead before I left. And then another person died uh, a few weeks in.
1: She was a friend of
2: yours too, wasn't she? She was another ocean rower. Um, We're a small community. It affected me greatly and The first one, you know, the could be rationalized, you know, he had made a lot of decisions that led to the boat capsizing and his demise. But Angela really didn't, the second one. She was found attached to her boat in the water. Um, And then a German ship diverted to recover her body. Um, But she was on my path and that was really tough. You know, I was gonna row past the lap long that she had that was her last. And I think really in hindsight there should have been a discussion about me aborting the trip. Because
1: of mental uh attitude or weather or...
2: it just puts a shadow over it. It just uh, in a way that you can't quite understand at that time. It's something you haven't, do you have to digest? And you can't do it while you're in the boat like, I mean I had a sister ship to her boat it was so very much could have been me. Um, and then it was nearly me. Twice. So that was difficult, you know, and yeah, it was difficult.
1: What's the story you told yourself that had you go anyway?
2: I trained for this. I trained for this like no one else has trained for this.
1: So you were prepared? Yes. Mm.
2: Even psychologically, to deal with all the events that I had to deal with.
1: (laughs) So um, now you're out at sea. When's the first time out at sea you said to yourself, oh, crap. This isn't good. How do I get out of here?
2: Well, I've been training for this for four years. Obviously, a lot of you know, blood, sweat, and <laughs> hustling has gone into this. So uh, you know, I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to do this. The only time in my entire career I've ever wanted to get off a ship was after the second capsize. Because the first capsize, you could rationalize as a freak wave. But the second, you really couldn't. You know, there was fundamentally something wrong with the boat. It was unstable. It didn't have enough lead low down. And no amount of putting water in the boat could change that, and I knew it.
1: Yeah, I remember that. You were filling the boat up with water to make it heavier.
2: Yes, I rode the Pacific across the Pacific.
1: (laughs) And so tell us about the second capsize.
2: So I had just about got over the first. And the first was, um, the first made me afraid of the ocean. I thought I will, never, I will never go to sea again after this trip. You know, I looked out to sea and for days I felt nausea, like a real physical PTSD reaction to it. And the only way I could sort of continue was to keep kind of giving it space. So I talked about it in my blogs, which felt extremely vulnerable, you know, but I kept allowing it to, to be there, you know, Um, I think Elizabeth Gilbert has a wonderful quote, which says that fear can come on the bus, but fear cannot drive, but fear can have a seat. And I think that's important to acknowledge that that's, it's there. And to just keep acknowledging that that's there. And then you can keep going. To suppress it is a very bad idea. Anyway, so we just got over that. <laughs> and then the weather had turned great. Finally, I had sunshine. Finally, I was out of this endless bank of unlimited clouds. Things were good. I was on track. And I took a nap. And out of the blue, I mean, the, the wet there was swell, so it wasn't a freak wave. But it's just a wave that caught the boat. And over we went again, this time with a hatch open. And I was asleep. So the first thing I know is I'm thrown against the wall and we're upside down and there is a mammoth amount of water pouring into the hatch and a voice in my head screaming, get out, get out, get out. You know, you're going to drown. And, and then the boat self-righted um, and we were left uh, full of water. So the boat was leaning hard over. That's very, very dangerous because if another wave came, boom, we, we wouldn't roll back you know the the boat was precarious and unstable and everything was soaked and I just couldn't believe that this was happening again (laughs) but but in that moment now I I have to save myself okay the moment of emergency is gone but we are now in this very precarious situation I have to bail that water out and I have to bail it out now so I'm getting everything that's heavy and putting it on one side and um, just bailing
1: and what kind of stuff did you lose in those two size? What kind of stuff like was destroyed and useless that was, I don't imagine you super over pack for a trip like this. You probably figured out how many days this was going to take you and designed everything down to the milligram. What did you lose and have to throw out or didn't work anymore?
2: i lost the communication devices so i had wired the boat a hundred percent of it was wired by me not necessarily by choice but because of covid the electrician wouldn't come <laughs> so in a way it's a huge godsend because if you wire it once you can wire it again and you can find the problems and when things are wet you know immediately what to turn off so the electronics were fine i mean you really couldn't continue if they weren't it, it it would just put make things extraordinarily hard. But um, so what I lost was the mobile communication devices, the email device, the, the ability to send back videos um, and that cut me mm-hmm. off. So now you've gone through this thing, but and all you have is a, a, a bad telephone. It's <laughs> that so, phone? phone. Yeah. But sap phones are now old technology compared to these mobile sap dishes that enabled you to use WhatsApp while, and have a great phone call while you're at sea. A great expense, my you? <laughs> sure. So I lost that, but also everything was wet. And now we have a mold problem. You have to wash everything. So the first capsize gave me a sort of damp cave kind of mold. And the second capsize gave me a mildew kind of mold. And so after both capsizes, I was washing and washing and washing because you've got to keep that out of your lungs. And the only way to do that is to keep on top of it, to air and dry and wash continuously.
1: So I know everybody's trying to figure out, well, like, how do you do laundry on a road? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you can do three items at a time at the most per day. And you need to do it on certain days where they're not going to get sprayed by salt water and uh it's using water that you create to drink so you have to manage that in a bucket in a tiny bucket
1: wow so tell me about rowing leah that's 86 days and just to give you context a lot of the people that i work with what they're trying to figure out how to do mentally Mm -hmm. is get motivated to do something, maybe it's around fitness, maybe it's around building a relationship with someone, maybe it's around business development, you know, making sales calls. They're trying to figure out how to do something that maybe takes somewhere between 30 minutes and two hours a day in the comfort of their home where their life is not at risk and it's really not that difficult to do. And probably the biggest challenge they have is, you know, they might do it for a week and then they get distracted or they get lazy or they get negative and they then they, they fall off the wagon and they lose their consistency. How did you deal with the motivation of rowing every day? Now I know you kind of had to row or, you're lost at sea. But how did you deal with that from a motivation standpoint? Rowing every day for eight to eleven hours for eighty six days. How did you get up for that? Do you love rowing that much?
2: <laughs> um <laughs> well there's probably the right now answer and then there's the next week answer. <laughs> right.
1: right now you're not <laughs> that is in rowing, but knowing you you'll be training
2: i think way- you have to think you have to find the the bigger reason you know the reason i didn't go out there to row i went out there to to connect with people and take people on a journey and that's much greater the rowing's just the method of doing that but my my sort of big things i believe in are one is you, unity like taking as many people want with me as possible because i know i'm going to a place that most people will never see i'm going to experience things that most people will never experience and I take that responsibility seriously you know I, I am your eyes so while i'm rowing i'm not rowing and thinking this is terrible i'm thinking how do i describe this to someone who will never experience this and that gives me joy and so that's why I'm so disciplined about blogging every day, because that's what it's about. And beyond that, it's oh. about um, throwing open the doors of possibility for small children, and girls in particular. Because I see that you know when kids come down to the boat, you know, they don't think that what, rowing an ocean is impossible. But we educate out of that. Right. And, I, and as a woman in particular, I, I want to say, yeah, you, know, you can be an astronaut and go to the moon in different ways and and that's why there are these colorful characters on the boat they were designed by the cartoonist who drew the archer drew drew the simpsons his name is wes archer and they all have characters you know ellie jellyfish and bobby octobobble and um i wanted to be joyful as well it's funny because this trip in particular i've never felt comfortable on the other side of the camera doing that sort of selfie cam but i just some broke through that on this and i did a lot of it because that's the the way that we watch and follow these things now. So so I did it because that's, that's how people would follow it.
1: That's a beautiful leadership vision, Leah, to make people a place that they'll probably never go on their own so they can see the possibilities, span their horizons, and so you have a responsibility to succeed, right? Because if you're out to inspire women and young girls, they don't want to hear about you being lost at sea. They want to hear about you rowing into Waikiki Harbor.
2: Right, (laughs) but you don't have to succeed, but you have to take them on the journey. You have to let people in. If I got off on the ship, I feel that everyone should know why. Yeah and I think it would have been okay for me to to abandon ship, but but you needed to know why, if you're gonna come on the journey.
1: (laughs) Beautiful inspiration. So tell us about this, the real marathon. This was just training, the real marathon is Japan to San Francisco? Yes. How many so, days at sea will that be if everything goes according to plan?
2: So it's twice the distance, and so twice the time at sea. So you're looking at 150 to 180 days. So this was a really good test of the team, the communications, my nutrition. I lost 10 pounds, that's it, 10.3 pounds. I gained one percent fat mass, <laughs> which was very disappointing to me because I you know was hoping for a washboard stomach by the end and so to look down and still be able to pinch an inch and a half i'm quite disappointed <laughs> but you know that we the joke in ocean rowing is that it's really an eating competition and if you can win the nutrition then you can stay strong towards the end and being able to row 24 hours at the end is a huge testament to the work we've done on the nutrition um so yeah it was just a test all round and there was a lot learnt. you know there really was you no know, we were all thrown into situations of which we had no experience, like the, the capsizes there and helping me after the capsize. And, and what, what is it if you die, get off on a ship? What is that experience? How do you actually get off onto a ship?
1: Yeah, like a big
2: <laughs> What do you take? You take a passport? What else do you take? You know? You
1: know? <laughs> How does the big ship like maneuver around your rowboat to pick you up?
2: right so sometimes they have you swim sometimes a cargo net in a way once i got all the information back about that i'm like okay which one's scarier <laughs> you know going with a bunch of 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 uh you know shipmates to china <laughs> alone as a woman i mean um, i just stay on my boat <laughs> and battle through my mental demons <laughs>
1: So people probably want to know what you ate and what was your nutrition and I'm proud to be a very small part of that but what did you eat on that boat every day?
2: A lot of nuts so 400 calories of macadamias alone, 400 of peanuts and dried fruit so apricots, dates, baby food for fruit and dried meat, flat-packed salmon, and then Huel, and Vibe protein powder, these powdered meals in mixtures of my own creation, that end up being like bags like that. That's a meal. <laughs> that's part Vibe, part Huel, part bunch of other things. That would, that's a part of breakfast. <laughs> Mix
1: that up in a shaker bottle, or what, how do you eat it? Where is the
2: shaker bottle? Uh, yeah, in a shaker bottle
1: wow all right so leah back to japan to san francisco okay really you're 83 84 days out you have two three days to get to honolulu Mm -hmm. are you really up for another 80 days
2: at that point I, I wasn't, I was desperate to come in in the sense that, you know, I was, I was in a boat that was unsafe, Uh but I liked it. You know, you know, I liked it out there. (laughs) Don't leave me out there forever, but (laughs) I wasn't, I cross oceans for a living. That was my 14th ocean crossing. It's, it's an amazing place. Ocean planet. It's wonderful. I love it. And I want, that's why I want to take everyone, you know, with me. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't think, I'm not phased by it. it. It's funny because I didn't know that I was not phased by it, right? Because 86 days is the longest I've ever spent at sea. 74 days was my Atlantic crossing with another person. And prior to that, my longest solo was 29 days. So... Um, Once you're over the 40-day hump, like the one-month misery moment is big, you know, where you can't quite remember the departure and the arrival seems almost unreal and out of reach. But once you're over that, you're good to go. But that first sort of month and a bit is really hard because you've still got the attachments to land. You still have the memories. But a couple of months in, you forget what real food is and what real food tastes like.
1: And what land looks like. And. Yes, yeah, it's still
2: there. <laughs> well, then you get a bit concerned.
1: You
2: know? <laughs> you know? so. Wow. I, but that won't be next year. It was scheduled for next year, but there's no way that I can recover and prepare in time now for next year. And yeah. so I decided that I'm going to slice up this boat. So I'm flipping the schedule. The plan was to slice up my boat after rowing the North Pacific and I've been selling the slices. It's an art project called Slice of History. And each slice owner buys a three inch ring frame of the boat. And the idea is that these slices would go on the walls of homes and offices and schools, not to tell my story, but really what it's come to represent, which is perseverance and dogged, unwavering perseverance, (laughs) determination talk about she said
1: she's buying a slice but um wow so i don't know i don't even know what else to ask you leah that's i i mean
2: well uh, i think if you're, if you're talking about coaching i think there's something i'd like to tell you and it's if that's okay and the main thing that kind of got me through all of that is finding my inner coach you know, if you read some of my blogs, I, I shared what my inner coach said, but it was like barking orders at me. <laughs> you know, when I was in the water in the first capsize, it was like, don't let go of the boat, you know, find the grab rail. I'm like, geez, you know, who is this thing in my head? You know? <laughs> you know, and the moment where I had grabbed the handrail, but I didn't put my hand fingers around it. And the voice goes, put your fingers around it. And that's when I knew I was in shock. You know, we weren't quite functioning. And it was very important that I got back on that boat, but the inner voice is really interesting and how I don't quite know how it, it just gets stronger with time, the more you allow it to To guide you.
1: Yeah, well, there's an old uh, Native American fable about um, Inside each of us are two wolves. And a and a young warrior asking the medicine man. About the fable, wants to know um, one wolf is, you know, the wolf that is going to lead us to succeed, and the other wolf is the evil wolf that's going to lead us to fail, the ego wolf. And the young warrior wants to know from the medicine man which wolf wins out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the medicine man wisely says, the one you feed. Wow. So, that inner voice you have fed and you fed it long enough and potently enough Mm -hmm. so that it rose up to save you when you needed saving. And yes, you entertained the failure wolf, the evil wolf, the ego wolf. What if I can't? What if, you know, what if this doesn't work right? You entertained those thoughts because we're human. And. Which one wins out is the one we pay the most attention to, the one we train, the one we edify, the one we love, the one we empower, that voice. And you're just a, uh, an amazing champion, Leah, for, for all women, all young women. And gosh, young women today absolutely need great role models. I hope they make a movie out of this. and get a new boat <laughs> let us, let us yeah. from japan to california which for me is just unthinkable
2: <laughs> there's a there's a really fantastic ted talk called inside the mind of a master procrastinator by right? a brazilian guy whose name escapes me but the, the the talk about the inner voice is wonderfully and hilariously identified in that talk. I can't recommend it enough as if anyone's interested in that kind of inner voice, nurturing the inner voice. But I think mine came out of incremental experience, you know, and, and acknowledging that failure is, is the way forward that you have to fail in order to learn to go forward. Like the, I tried to set a record around the Farallon Islands, which are west of San Francisco. And it was really, if I had succeeded the first time, what would I have learned? But I the, remember, I remember the, that yeah, the failures were galling and public. You know? <laughs> and, and, but you know, then they, they, they nurture experience. You build from that. And then when you get it, when you succeed, it's that much sweeter. Beautiful.
1: Well Leah, thank you so much. I know you've done a ton of interviews and what you really need to do is rest and I don't know what I don't know what you need to do, but
2: I don't uh, think I know. <laughs> thank, thank you very you. much. I've enjoyed
1: this. Thank, thank you. you, thank you, thank you for the time and thank you for your heroic effort and thank you for succeeding and surviving. Thank you for your courage and your words of wisdom. You're a true gift.
2: And yeah, we're leaving everything up. There's a new blog I wrote the last 24 hours last night, and there's two more blogs to come up. So if you have a look or the community want to have a look, there is, you know, the what happened next is is getting written about. So check yeah. in on that.
1: Good. Those will all be in the comments, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we really appreciate it. And um, I'll see you tomorrow morning on Daily Dose of Salt. Thanks, Leah. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank
0: you for tuning in to The Richard Brooks Show to learn about network marketing and hearing stories of success. We found that the number one criteria for success is belief. Belief you can, belief you will, belief you are. Belief turns dreams into goals and goals into visions and visions into reality. You can help lift up your team by encouraging them to study these stories over and over again. Repetition is the mother of faith. And if your team is already studying the four-year career, you know its impact on belief in organic growth. If not, you'll want to study it right away and get it into the hands of your team. You can order it at richardbrook.com or amazon.com.